Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Start Local, a podcast focused on helping businesses in Chester County, PA, and the greater Philly area as they try to navigate through the COVID-19 economy. I'm Joe Casabona, and I am happy to be back here after a few weeks of paternity leave with my fellow co-host, Liam Dempsey. Liam, how are you? Joe, it's fantastic. What's a podcast with you without you on the other side of the mic? Welcome back. I hope the family's well. The bigger family. Every, Thank you very much. Everybody's doing great. The boy is sleeping very well. Teresa's loving being a big sister, and we're adjusting pretty well as well. But we're not here to talk about my family life today. We are here to talk to Senator Katie Muth. She is the PA State Senator for the 44th District, which includes Chester County. We are honored to have you here. Senator Muth, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And um, congratulations on the new the new member of your family. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. We uh, we are excited to welcome him to our family. We're now a family of four. Super exciting. Uh, and we are honored to have you with us today. So we're going to be talking about kind of uh, how the uh, county is continuing to react to COVID-19 in a, in a various way. Uh, in, in a bunch of different ways. But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? Sure. So I am a lifelong Pennsylvanian. I actually grew up in Western Pennsylvania um, in Westmoreland County. Then I went to Penn State and now I'm on this side of the state. So um, I've been here uh, all my life with the exception of when I went to grad school in Arizona and I came right back. And so um, I grew up in a working class family. I'm not uh, personally wealthy. Um, my dad um, never went to college. Um, my dad was a single dad after my mom passed away. So I grew up with very um, limited means, but a great family life in terms of my aunts and uncles and grandparents. And um, education was was a big thing um, in my family, um, making sure that, you know, my brother and I had good schools to go to both, you know, pre-college and then into college. Uh, and I decided to run for office um, in 2018 for the Senate. Um, I knew nothing about politics, um, you know, beyond the basics. I did not even know um, who my state senator was prior to running. Um, I'd never received any communications from them or any outreach. And um, it really prompted me based on a lot of it was the healthcare system. I worked in sports medicine. Um, and I also taught anatomy prior to becoming a senator and um, how limited access to health insurance impacts families, student athletes. Um, I've worked in the NFL where there's tremendous healthcare um, benefits. And then I've worked in um, division three colleges and, you know, um, unfunded uh, public schools uh, as well. So, you know, there's a struggle there. And then it really actually drew me to the money in politics and how the money in politics drives policy and not the needs of the people. And um, it was from then I decided uh, who makes decisions on our behalf did not have the best interest in mind. And I um, took a sort of leap of faith and I ran for office in a seat that no one thought could flip. And here I am sitting to, talking to both of you today as the state senator. So um, I ran a people powered campaign. Um, I took no special interest money whatsoever. So I'm the only person in the state Senate that um, does not take special, not from any entity. So I have donors in 50 states, small dollar donors. Um, and we had an army of door knockers talking to voters of all party affiliations, talking about the struggles they and their family um, were concerned about or were going through. Um, and that level playing field and transparency were two themes that just came up over and over again at every door. And um, 
you know, I'm still on that mission as now a senator to try to level that playing field and increase transparency um, in all parts of government. So uh, I do believe democracy works if the right people are making the decisions. And, and I think, um, you know, I'm proud to be elected by the people of, of the Senate District 44, the three counties, parts of three counties that I represent. And um, I'm, I'm happy to be here today and talk to you about um, our latest struggle with uh, the coronavirus. Awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you for that. It, that's a, a great, great background information. And I, I love the story of um, why you got into it and how you don't take any special interest money. I think that's something, you know, that kind of hits home personally for me because I feel like you're you're out there fighting the good fight for the people now. You're not, you know, in the pockets of anybody. So thank you. No, I, I'm one of the people. I'm still, still paying off my student loan debt. And <laughs> so I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Senator, there that you shared a lot with us, and there's a lot to unpack there. And this is a short show, so what I really want to focus on is you talked about your background in health and your concerns about the state of healthcare systems, and not we don't so much want to get into healthcare systems, but we're talking about coronavirus, COVID nineteen, and how it's affecting business. And really, what I wonder is, you know, you're science minded. Your background is in 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 human anatomy and sports medicine. Where do you turn? for up-to-date health information about COVID-19? I suppose I'm going to ask it in two ways. Generally, so, you know, to understand what the virus is. And then more specifically, where can business owners, where do you get data around the status of management, care, et cetera, of COVID-19 in Southeast PA? Sure. So I'll start with the first part of your question um, about just the general information about the, the pandemic itself and, and the data. Um, I always look at multiple sources. So I think um, John Hopkins does a really great job of tracking and tracing cases. Um, so does um, one of the doctors, Dr. Rubin from CHOP. And so I look at those trends. And um, I also then listen to the State Department of Health um, as Secretary Levine and her um, office gives updates. I think it's important. That's the Pennsylvania uh, how, State Department yeah. of Health. Yes. Yep, thank you. This, the Pennsylvania. Yep. And so I'm sorry. And so I also obviously look at what the CDC is saying because the CDC is um, supposed to be, you know, the the overseeing body of, of such pandemics, epidemics, and um, the guidance that that comes out of um, that is important, right? So it's referenced often. It's changed sometimes, um, and that's important to keep up to date, especially relative to the second part of your questions with businesses and reopening processes. So. Um, I am someone who uh, probably most would say w would be a little bit more um, cautious and, and more proactive um, than maybe most uh, legislators. But the reality of this virus and knowing how it spreads as someone who used to have to make sure student athletes didn't get MRSA infections that are also deadly, um, not near as contagious, but, you know, same things. I've, I, I'm a germaphobe by nature, but at the same time, understanding the science is is really crucial in this. And so knowing that this virus, um, we don't know who's carrying it, how it's transmitted, really should impact policy and guidance, right? And I don't know that the messaging is always sound around that when we say this many people in this room or this is why there's you know maximum, maximum occupancy limits is because of it's, it's a respiratory transmitted virus. So the more air that's occupied by humans, the, the greater level of risk, right? And so 
I think sometimes as we're all frustrated, let's just put that out there. We're frustrated. We're overwhelmed. This is, this is a lot, right? Whether you're a business, a family, all the above, um, someone with a sick loved one, a healthcare provider, this is not easy. That's, that's a given. Um, but what needs to happen is I think because of the history of this nation and how we've prioritized profits over people, um, we're now in this new crossroads of this sometimes, I'm sure you've seen headlines and, and things on the news of the economy versus people's health and well-being. And it's this either or framing. And I get really, really frustrated with that in that, you know, if anybody's ever lost a loved one, it's horrible. And um, especially if it was preventable or in general, right? And so we're talking about the difference between life or death here. And the, the people that refute the facts, that's where our divide is, right? If we can't even agree on the basics of this virus, it will be a very long road to recovery because we're our own worst enemies. We are in a position now where we have to trust other people to do the right thing, um, which is a really hard place to be in. And so as we talk about reopening businesses, there are some great small business owners. The majority of them are. They want to do the right thing. They want to protect their workers. They, you know, they want to save their business. They also want to offer and reopen business in a manner that's safe. And so there's a couple issues happening now relative to, you know, people not adhering to the guidance. For example, if you show up at a place without a mask on and you claim to have a medical condition and that entity offers curbside assist, you know, service, but yet you still come in, I'm, I'm getting calls from business owners that are, there's no enforcement of this. They're coming in, they're putting me and my workers at harm. Um, if it's a food place, that's increased risk, right? And so when we say we're all in this together, it sounds cheesy and corny, but it really does require all of us together to take this guidance seriously because we cannot reopen without everyone following the guidance. And so businesses are going to, if a bar gets packed because people don't want to leave when they're told, and this is the max, you know, this is what, and they can't, the lack of enforcement, this, this personal accountability thing is starting to wear a little bit in Pennsylvania. And we're now seeing business owners paying that price, right? If, are you going to get your liquor license suspended? Are you, but if there's no mechanism of enforcement, now we then have the flip side. We have the operators that I think are probably much less that um, don't have the best interest of their workers in mind. So a couple of things that really um, I think should be, would be key right now. And we have far less of an economic um, downfall is number one, small business insurance should cover pandemic loss. It does not. 2017, it was a federal change, and that's a, a battle with the Insurance Federation. Um, the other states have uh, won, and um, they're now allowing it, New Jersey, um, Oregon. So that's huge. So your loss is covered is that, under that Can I ask a clarifying policy. question about that, Senator? Sure. Is that those other mm -hmm. states are allowing it retroactively or moving forward? How does that work? For example, you mentioned Oregon. Um, it depends, if I had business. So it depends on the state. Yep, it depends on the state. And, and so New Jersey, for example— the insurance federation was very freaked out that this was going to pass. They have a different majority party in charge in New Jersey than Pennsylvania. So um, they negotiated with the legislature so that they weren't complete. It didn't go completely to like the retro, but it is in, in sense retroactive. I mean, think about it. These people are paying for this insurance policy for 15, whatever, how, you know, and now you're, you need it. And it's like, 
sorry, you're not covered. And you're like, what am I paying into this for? Like what? And so it's, it's really disheartening that at least in some states, it's just revenue or loss of like, you know, there's specifics. So there's a cap to, it's, you, it can't be, you know, over your max revenue from last year. So, you know, so it's not sure. like a complete, but the insurance federation nationally it has a billion dollar p- piggy bank. So like the jig is up. Right. And so they have a tremendous amount of lobbying power in, in Pennsylvania and, and they certainly aren't fans of Katie Muth. So, um, for, for many reasons, not just this, but, and, and so when we talk about PTSD being covered under like workman's comp for first responders, that finally just got signed into law. Why? Because it took battling the insurance industry to allow it. So those are the kind of things you sit here and you think we're in a global pandemic. Like, are you kidding me? And here we are, you know, and so that would be helpful. Paid sick leave, guaranteed paid sick leave would be huge right now. Um, Employer-based health insurance, I hope everyone that is paying attention realizes what a sham it is because if you got laid off or you lost your job during this, the chances are your health insurance didn't get continued for very long after your job ended, right? So we're starting to see these systemic problems because of the lack of policies in place to protect humans, right? And so these are things that would be huge, you know, and, and we have yet to, um, I don't say we, the majority party in the history of Pennsylvania, I've only been there for a year and a half. These are all proposed pieces of legislation that have never made yeah. it up for a vote. So as we sit here and we can complain about the feds, which that's a conversation we should have, but at the same time, it's on us to fix, fix PA, right? Like we have to figure out what we can do as a state to minimize harm, both economically and from a livelihood standpoint. And these are things that could be put into place. That's a really great point. And, and that kind of leads me on to another question I'd like to ask of you. Is, sure. What is the state government doing to help ensure the safety of both both employees and customers? We, we heard in a previous conversation with uh, Victory Brewing, with their area managers, that they did a survey in the early days of the of the lockdown orders in Pennsylvania that a number of their customers and their consumers were very concerned, not just what the Victory was doing, but also what other members of the public, other guests were doing. And you, you touched on that your office is starting to hear from business owners concerned about the behavior of some customers, not all, but some, and what, so that's one issue that would be interesting to hear what's happening legislatively. And you touched on a number of other issues uh, in your previous answer. Maybe you can share just kind of generally what the state is doing, either what's you know, in the process or what's recently been passed. Sure. So I'll start with the, the first piece of that. And legislatively, a lot of things um, have not, most things have happened through executive order um, through the various agencies, right? So the enforcement piece is very confusing. Um, I was at a meeting recently for a township and, uh, the elected officials, except one, wouldn't wear masks and had people in a government facility that requires the mandates masks. No one enforced it. Um, police were there too. They were wearing masks and at no point was anyone told to put on a mask. Some people were sitting there holding them, smirking and laughing. And that was my first indicator of, even if it's the minority of people doing that, 20% 20% of non-compliance in Pennsylvania is like over 2 million people. Two million, so that is a tremendous amount of harm to be spread. And so when we talk about there might be some, the harm that one 
can do in a day is, is tremendous. And then you hear them, we are now hearing people aren't co- cooperating with contact tracing when they're called, which is hugely problematic. So I'm, I'm starting to, um, yes, if there's a bad operator that's a business, they need to be held accountable. That is, of course, or putting their workers in the public at risk. That is a piece of it. I'm starting to veer towards the personal accountability approach of, and I don't want to fine everybody or put everyone in jail. That's not what I'm saying. But there needs to be some, um, we can't legislate morality. I can't legislate for people to have a moral compass to care about other humans. If I could, I'd wave a wand and I would have done it already. I don't possess that power. Um, and I'm sure there's many more before me that would have tried as well. And so I, I think we have to be realistic about that. But what we can legislate is deterrence to behavior. And so, and that's any, whether it's racism, whether whatever it be, we have to say to people, these are the consequences. And there's some other senators who we, I've discussed this with, and, and they're on the public shame train. And I understand that. That can go a long way. That can be helpful. But what, what protections are we giving operators and businesses that are trying to do the right thing from having that bad apple cause a lot of harm? And we're not give, that's not there yet. And so we, we really need, instead of just reopen, 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 it's what is safe and how do we enforce it? Um, because the reality is, if we don't, this keeps spreading. And we will never reopen, uh, uh, you know, as, as we need to, to, you know, rebound economically. Um, the second piece to your question, one of the things early on that I, I've learned is that we don't manufacture PPE in the United States of America. I'm sure you all heard about PPE shortages nationwide back in March. Um, you're now starting to hear about it again. And I can say with 100%, 110% certainty that there are entities in my district that have never had adequate PPE supplies, including or supply management, because I can't always find out what the problem is. Um, If it's on hand and not distributed or just not available, hospitals, um, state-run veteran facilities that I've been battling, these workers have called, cried out for help, um, having N95s and brown paper bags, like just horrid work conditions. And so we have a PPE shortage. I'm a little frustrated because I think now that it's July, almost August, um, we knew this in March, like what have we done to incentivize manufacturing of these products in our state? So yesterday I saw that Governor Wolf tweeted out, um, contact us about, are you a manufacturer? And I sent it to my husband and I was like, is our house bugged? Because, and I've said this to him on calls like seven <laughs> times. I'm like, holy moly, like, here we go. Like this, and so that's a good sign. I just hope we can work urgently because people think this magic vaccine that is supposed to appear in December is, is I'm always like prepare for the absolute worst <laughs> and, and be surprised and elated when it doesn't happen. But we can't just assume something's going to save the day and rely on that assumption and not have a safety net. So we have to manufacture our own things. So that seems to be going in a better direction, not as fast as I like great. Contact tracing, test, mass testing expansion. The struggle's real. Um, we are working on it, hopefully in October, I believe. There's an entity in Pennsylvania that will start manufacturing the test. That's huge. New Jersey did this um, with Rutgers. Like, we can do this. Um, the contact tracing, the, uh, I just read an article. I was not made aware of it prior to reading the, the paper um, that the Department of Health got a contract to a approve their um, expansion of contact tracing. So they hired an outside agency that was used by New York to bring on more. It's estimated Pennsylvania could need almost 4,000 contact tracers to adequately stop the spread of this virus. We have about 600 some right now. And again, 
if people are answering the phones and being compliant and with giving that information, we hit a dead end. And that means we can't find where it's spreading. So all of these things are coming together. Um, we're seeing one third of our counties have an increased positivity rate. That is terrifying. That's, that's worse than just, you know, more case. Like this is means the more people that are tested, even if it's 300 in center County. Can I just clarify that? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did you sure. say one third of all counties in Pennsylvania or one third yes. of Chester County? One third of Pennsylvania of the 67 counties. Of all the counties. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. I just and Chester sure County right. is one of those count is in that one third. Chester County is starting to see a spike. Um, and shockingly, Montgomery County is not in that third because that's been the Mecca of COVID along right. with Philadelphia. But, Philadelphia yeah. is still in it, but the numbers for them, it makes the math a little bit harder to compare apples to oranges, but just in population base. But um, yeah, we're seeing counties, center county, counties that did not have an initial surge spread. Allegheny County is a hotspot. My, my mothership hometown of, of Green, Greensburg, or I grew up in Delmont, Westmoreland County is, you know, spiking. So this is summer travel. This is people just saying, you know what? I, I tried it for three months. I bunkered down and I'm over it. Like, let's just take it as it comes, which is terrifying. So here we are. So all of these things are really important because if everyone still isn't following the guidance, we cannot reopen safely. And you can't, we can't have everything right now. That's a hard pill to swallow for some people. We're an all or nothing society. We want our one at all. But I'm, I'm becoming increasingly frustrated with the um, mentality of some that say that their freedom entitles them to do whatever they please. Um, I'm going to push back and say your freedom does not entitle you to put other people in harm's way. And unfortunately, this is the nature of, that, of this virus, right? That, that's where we're at. So there's some personal responsibility um, that everyone has in our state. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And uh, to to that end, I think we can uh, wrap up here with a question about schools. That's been a hot topic, right? Liam and I are both in the Downingtown area school district. Um, and we learned that public schools won't resume in-person classes until uh, at least November 5th. Uh, has the state considered how to best support working parents and school-age children as we roll into the new school year? So I think... Um uh, that's a work in progress. So we are now, I just had a call last week with daycare centers. Um, over 170 daycare centers across our state have permanently closed since COVID. Um, that's troubling. So some of them did get some federal aid, some CARES dollars. Um, what they made in revenue is, is far greater. Um, there's issues with, you know, concerned parents with co- sending kids back safely, rightfully so. Um, now the new concern of theirs is as people go virtual, these school districts, which I, and I do support just for the record, um, that now if parents have to work, go back to work or in-person work or whatever is how do you support, I mean, even working at home with kids, this is not ideal. Like it's, it's, it's to say that you're lucky enough to work at home. Yes, that's great. But trying to educate kids while doing your job, sharing an internet server, like the things I've heard from families, I'm like, you know, it's, it's not, it is not easy. And so, and not, and you're not a bad parent if you can't teach your kids algebra. Like, I just want to state that my dad, God bless him. I support I, your I opinion tutor, on that. And it is, it is true because, you know, you can be, you can help your child, but being a teacher is a very, you know, it's a skill and to help with homework is far different than trying to teach them, you know, some curriculum level thing. And so 
I think it's putting a tremendous amount of stress on, on all these entities, right? Parents, kids, employer, all these things. And so we need to find a solution from the childcare perspective. But again, anything we do where people are now going to be around other people, we're increasing risk. So it would be great. I just talked to a teacher this morning. If you knew that everyone you sent your kid to like daycare with followed the guidance, wore a mask in the grocery store, did the things that, that helped mitigate this, right? You'd, you'd feel a heck of a lot. You trust them. And that's what kids do is, is just what kids do. What are their parents doing? So we have that component of it. And to support families, it's not just, um, you know, getting laptops and internet secure, which is a part of the struggle for parts of the state that the rural broadband thing is like, my God, just finish it. Like, you know, get it done. Like this, you know, like just now's the time, but so there's going to be these struggles, right? And so um, we have to be able to identify them district by district, see what the needs are. Um, people are going to have to work together. And again, that's harder when uh, entities don't agree on facts. So I appreciated Downingtown being the leap of faith of courage and setting the example because um, that was an important mood they made. And I'm sure they, you know, faced some pushback. But where we're at right now, we can't, we can't safely, re- we'd go back for what, three weeks? And, and there being and you can't put people in, in harm's way like that, whether it's teachers and, and bus drivers and, and students. Um, it, it's just it's not safe. And it's again, this is an ideal, but we have to figure out now what are we going to put in place from a support system standpoint for the families that are going to be doing this virtual. And, you know, this isn't impossible. This is this is challenging, but it's it's there's a solution and, and collectively all of our input. And cooperation makes the solution um, happen versus everybody debating, hating needing the solution, <laughs> which takes up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And thank you for your insight on that. I know that my wife and I have struggled with, I, we're not going to send our daughter back to daycare until there's a vaccine. And I'm lucky enough to work from home. She's a nurse. And uh, I can just take the day off and work a little extra on the weekend if I need to because I'm self-employed and I work from home. So um, there are a lot of struggles that I think we appreciate. And I definitely appreciate Downingtown uh, making that leap of faith, like you said. Um, but Senator Muth, we are uh, we are at time here. I really appreciate you joining us. If people want to learn more about you and, and the work you're doing, uh, where can they find you? At SenatorMuth.com is our website. You can also sign up for our newsletter there, which we send out weekly, which will have all sorts of updates, grant information, resource information, both COVID and non-COVID related. Um, and um, at Senator Muth on, on social media, you can follow me um, for updates there as well. But we, we try to be pretty comprehensive in the resources and uh, through my website, the contact us. Um, my office is full steam ahead. Uh, I have an amazing team taking a lot of calls you know, with resources and questions. And if we don't know the answer, we will certainly work hard to, to find it for you and, and, and help in any way possible. So we encourage, you know, people to, to reach out. Um, we're here to help. Thank you, Senator. Thanks for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you both. Stay safe. <laughs> Thanks, you too. Yeah. And everybody listening out there, stay safe.